should be. Got muted yesterday. Thank you uh, for everyone who participated yesterday in our seminar. Um, and to be truthful, as if you shouldn't be, and it doesn't matter whether you're in, oh, you're at church, you got to be, you can, yeah, it, that always cracks me up. You know, God goes with you wherever you are, right? Anyway, <laughs> I hope so too. Um, Bob Johnson has just been a good friend over the years, and we've uh, done ministry together uh, at the church I came from in Lansing, and it was just good to, to have him do that and to share, and those of you that were here um, had good responses. So thank you for everyone that came. Thank you for everyone that helped put all that together and set up, take, all the stuff that has to happen with that. Um, another thank you to Steve and the uh, building ministry and redoing the cafe and the bathrooms down there. It looks fabulous, so thank you for all the men, people that participated. Um, appreciate all the work there. Um, and even more important, I mean, it's necessary to take care of those things, but uh, again, um, the grander work, if you will, um, the far more important eternal work is what you saw this morning in, in someone uh, who's come to Christ and, and being part of this body. And so that is always our goal here. We want to make heaven truly more crowded. That's the objective. And it's just more fun to do it together. So why not just do it together? And we laugh, we cry, we do all those things. Um, and we're in this series about emotional, uh, healthy spirituality. And in light of the things that happen in our life, in light of um, sometimes we just don't feel good, right? There's things that happen in our life that are hard, and they need to be expressed. And in some instances in Christian life, it's, oh, you, sh you shouldn't feel that way. Well, well maybe, but I do. <laughs> so what do I do with that? And so that's the intent about what we're trying to have happen here. And this morning, um, it's this idea of uh, living in uh, light of the new you. You know, growing to maturity in Christ. If you're a Christian, um, we all start in the same place. Every one of us. We all start as spiritual infants, right? Um, when you come to Christ, um, that moment you are justified in Him. Um, but there's a lot of work to accomplish from there. Just like if you've had children, um, you hope they don't uh, act and as cute as they are when they're newborn and as fun as my grandkids are um, as they're tiny and wonderful, uh, right? You don't want them to act uh, like they're still three when they're 30, <laughs> right? It's not pretty anymore, and it's like, oh, you get that cringe factor, right? Same with us spiritually. Uh, that's the objective here. And so what we're trying to accomplish is we want to grow in maturity, and Ephesians um, is where we're going to just parachute in, and I, you know, I always remind you that's very dangerous to do when you start dropping into the middle of a, of a section, but I'm going to preface it this way. Um, Paul does this pretty consistently, Ephesians 1 through uh, 3, all about theology. This is who Christ is, what he's done, all that. And then he makes a switch in chapter 4. In light of verse, chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is now how you are to live in Christ, right? That's the overall uh, parse of what he's trying to do. And so in verse 17 is where we're going to read uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you... Again, he's writing to Christians, this church in Ephesus. You as Christian people must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. But, verse 20. 
That is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard of him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If you remember nothing today, here's the deal. In those four sections, there's a contrast. There's a contrast of the old and the new. Um, And we're going to get to that. Um, Probably not this week. (laughs) But that's that's this idea. There's There's a means and a method about what is transpiring in your spiritual life and why it's happening and what happens. And as I was trying to prepare for, just I just kind of threw everything out, and and so here's here's what you get. And I and I so appreciate um, those of you, especially that came up to me to me and go, boy, last week's sermon that was awesome. I'm like, thank you. I try. <laughs> but here's the so here so Hank, I'll pick on Hank. <laughs> Guess he was one of them. I'm like, Hank, I just pray that the Holy Spirit tells you to think that. <laughs> Right? Oh, my goodness. Psalms, the Psalms that Dwayne read, Psalms 42, um, if you feel this way, um, why is my soul so downcast? And again, why we're doing this series, um, to know that you feel those things. And in some respects, again, we talked about being created in God's image. God has feelings. There's a whole litany of scripture where God expresses his emotions. Some of those are anger. Some of those are jealousy. All of those things. And he alone can do that in a holy and righteous way. I can't do that. When we've gone through our uh, regeneration, uh, 12-step, they start everything. The idea is, you know, hi, my name is. I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from, and then you fill in the blank. One of those things for me is pride and anger. Um, Because the intensity that I feel in life and again, the competitive nature that I, I get very intense. And that has uh, hopefully tempered um, a lot in my life and a large part to my incredibly awesome, wonderful wife. Um, she is a good barometer to me. She is a good balance to me. And after 40 years, she's not afraid to tell me. <laughs> At first, uh, a little bit. Because um, we affectionately called that part of me the little green monster um, that would come out. And so... Um, and so I don't always do it right. I don't always do it godly. But let me ask you this. In light of where we're going to go and what uh, Scripture teaches us, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why is there turmoil within me? It's the fact that, again, in life there is, correct? And then you might as well just confess it. I am in turmoil. or Whatever is transpiring in your life, I'm feeling this. I don't know why, maybe, or maybe you do know why, and sometimes I don't know what to do with that. And so the basis for where we're going to go this morning to get to Ephesians 4, I just hope this resonates with you, is in the form of a question. Do you believe God is happy with you? Do you believe he's pleased with you? At this very moment, is he happy with you? I can't answer that question for you, but I know to answer that question directs your entire life, whether you believe that or not. Do you truly believe God is pleased with you? If 
you go to Genesis chapter 4, and this is where we're going to deviate, um, this is a case study with two, uh, two sons, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. Two prodigals, if you will, the first two prodigals, if you will. Abel, in joyful humility and honor, brings his offering gift to the Father. And Abel brings his best gift. In fact, it says, when you go to chapter 4, he brings, Abel brought the firstborn of his flocks and other fatted portions. And I appreciate the firstborn because that's real important all throughout the Old Testament and real important in the nature and character of Jesus Christ. Abel thought this out, and he had some form of teaching and understanding that made him do this. He didn't just think this up on his own. I'm just going to do this. I have to make the assumption that either God spoke to him or or his dad said, hey, this is, you know, you have those conversations when when your children get old enough to go, so what did you do? How did, what? When you were in high school, you really did that? (laughs) And you share some of those stories of when you were, you know, there, right? And you wonder if your kids are going to go cringe, look at you and go, wow, I can't believe you did that. (laughs) Could you imagine that conversation that Adam had to have with his kids? Oh, yeah, we had this great, it was, there was nothing, it was perfect. Maybe not the part that they're naked because there's a problem now because they understand that now, right? They're embarrassed. They're shameful. It was awesome. We were in this garden and work was work, but it wasn't like, you know, but you, and you're trying to explain this to your kids because they got it really hard now. <laughs> because of what you did. And so Abel brings his gift, the firstborn The best. One brings, um, this is for Dennis, I think, if I I understand my fair analogies. One would have been, you know, would have brought the best to any fair, any state fair. Where's Dennis at? (laughs) Oh, there he is. (laughs) Right? This this offering, this lamb, this, this would have been best in show at the fair. I mean, best of the best of the best of everything that Abel had, and he brought it. All the work, if you've never done something like that, all the work that actually it takes to be able to do that at a show like that or at a fair, to get to that point, that was able. While the other gift is, seems to be more of an afterthought, Cain's gift. Because it doesn't say, he just brought, says he brought some of his. Some. Almost as an afterthought. Oh yeah, I got to go do that thing with God and here you go. not without any attention to who it's for or why he's bringing it, maybe. More out of performance or duty than out of humility and love for his heavenly Father. One gift, therefore, is accepted, and one is not accepted. And this is the first instance of this first generation from Adam who displays the new redeemed man and one who displays the sinful man. Two contrasts, two case studies, two contrasts of what's going on. One is living an emotional, healthy spiritual life. One is living an unhealth, for whatever reason. And yet, look at God in his glorious goodness and love. What does he do? He seeks out Cain specifically. You wonder why Jesus says, hey, I came to seek and save the lost. This is why. You see this pattern right at the very beginning. And just like God did with Cain's parents, God seeks him out. Which, again, it's not hard for him to do. And he asks him specifically about his anger. And notice, God is not coming to Cain. He's not coming to Cain because 
He's mad at him for being angry. Cain is expressing this anger, this expressing because he's displeased who God is. He's not been accepted. He's not angry that his anger is even out of place. It's really quite, you know, he should be angry. At least that's an appropriate emotion. Why? Because God rejected him. What do you feel when you get rejected? Cain's gift was deficient. Making Cain deficient. Therefore, the relationship was deficient. And please notice again, who's doing the moving? Cain's not doing the moving. God is doing the moving. God is doing the pursuing. God is, is doing, the, doing all the work here. He's the one moving to restore. He's the one moving to redeem. He's the one moving to bring joy and peace that only can be found in him. And what's God's method? I love this. God asks questions. Always ask good questions. It's funny, when you go back to what we've been reading in Mark, Jesus does the very same thing. It's the very same pattern. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he does the same thing. He just asks questions. Cain, why are you so angry? Why are you so dejected? Remember, the questions aren't for God. You could reword the question. Cain, do you want to be free? Do you want to have life? Do you want to have this abundant life? More abundant and free? Cain, do you really love me? You could ask it that way too. Verse 7, Genesis chapter 4, is the answer. And we shared it last week. It's the gospel. It's the grace of God freely given to those who hear the word of God and receive it by faith. It's this emphatic declaration that God is giving him. He says, look, you will be accepted if you do what is right. What is God asking? Bring the right gift. That's it. Bring the right gift. Come in a manner that you have been asked to come. That seems reasonable, doesn't it? Abel understood it. So what do we know? It can be done. <laughs> it's doable. It wasn't some spiritual laundry list that you've got to do of do's and don'ts to, to jump through all these hoops. It was just one thing to consider. Interesting to me also, it was the same thing with Adam and Eve, just one thing. You have all of this, just not this one thing. This one thing is mine. And that's what they gravitated to. Well, this contrast continues. And God says this, but... If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. What does that imply? It implies, once again, it's possible. It's doable. What crouches? Cats crouch. I'm not a cat guy. Sorry for all you cat people. <laughs> oh, I'm a Lions fan. <laughs> 1 Peter 5.8. And I did notice the little drink the Kool-Aid someone snuck in there. Funny. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober and vigilant because Satan, our adversary, walks around like what? A roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's this idea God is expressing to Cain. And Peter is talking about fellow believers here, so don't, please don't misinterpret this. Satan's not about stealing your salvation or, or doing anything like that. Don't, don't confuse those categories. But notice, please, the parallel and the contrast of Abel and Cain and what Peter is saying right before this section in 1 Peter 5. He says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty power, 
And at the right time, he, God, will honor you. Or to say, you will be accepted. Again, in verse 7, it pertains to our emotional, spiritual help. Give or offload all of your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. That's in 1 Peter 5. Then comes, be sober-minded. But instead of dealing with his anger and humility and repentance, Cain just doubles down and says, Stop, I don't want your counsel. I don't want the counsel that leads to salvation. No thanks. Unlike many today in their anger, my anger, they sin. How? Instead of seeing who they are in the light of God, instead of reflecting on their feelings, and then responding to those feelings and submitting them under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not the fact that you're emotionally distraught, depressed, fear, worried. It's not that, that those things don't happen because, again, they do happen to varying degrees in our life. But the issue is, will you submit those under the lordship of Jesus Christ? That's really what the key is to all this, it seems to me. Instead of submitting to and keeping them in the gospel, keeping this gospel at the center like we talked about last week. Instead, Cain takes that out and inserts himself in the center. And when you do that, typically, it shows up in this form, at least in my experience in life and talking to people and listening and, 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 and different things that happen in our lives. When you insert yourself, the tendency is to blame God, which is ironic to me because you're mad at him, and, and especially if you were at church or something or, or grew up in a certain way that way, all of a sudden, you know, you're blaming God. It's like, why? If you don't believe in him, how can you point fingers? It just never has made sense to me. And if you understand that, or if at least if you're inconsistent in your argument, then you got to look for somebody else to blame. So what do you do? Maybe your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your, I mean, you, whatever it is, society, government, pop, whatever. Where do you not look? Right here. And you justify and do whatever you can to numb the pain, to make it go away. So I'll ask it again. Is God happy with you? Is God pleased with you? Matthew refers to this. We we saw this in Mark chapter 1 a while back at the baptism of Christ. What do you hear right after that with God's expression to Jesus Christ? This is my beloved son in whom what? I am well pleased. Let me ask you something. What did Jesus do to please God? Well, I guess we're not given a whole lot of detail. But he's roughly 30 years old, so between the time he's born, we get this little window at 12, he goes to the temple. Uh, basically, all we can say and speculate is he grew up in an honorable way. He honored his mom and dad. He worked, learned a trade from his dad. They worked together until this moment when he was switching gears to go do his earthly ministry. That's really all we know. He hasn't, in other words, done anything yet. He's just starting the job of ministry as we understand it through scripture and yet what does God say I am pleased with you you are accepted now I kind of think you know what you're thinking you're going well yeah it's because it's Jesus come on <laughs> right I'm not the son of God that's true but like Adam 
and like Cain, what is necessary to be pleasing to God. What's the necessary thing for you and I to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ? It's just one thing. What's the one thing? The gospel, right? Isn't that amazing? This dawned on me. I mean, just as I was studying this to go through, it was just one thing for Adam. It was just one thing for it's just It's just one thing for you. You just need to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ to be. That's, that was last week, so I'll pause right there. Stop. Again, it's not a laundry list. What do people get frustrated with? Oh, it's church. Oh, there's all these do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts. You, you got you to gotta fill out some laundry list or check some box. If that's your understanding of faith in Jesus Christ, if that's your understanding of Christianity, please do this right now. Just if mentally, just take that eraser and go and just chuck it out the door. Because you've totally absorbed something that's not true. It's just one thing. It's faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And if that is you here today, if you are, please listen, if you are in Christ, then God is happy with you. That's it. Oh, but you don't know my story. Well, I know some of your stories, and I can say the same thing. You don't know all mine either. We have our own personal picadillos, right, that we, that we have to deal with and stuff that's happened in our life. What does all that stuff do? That just makes your testimony that much greater. What did Paul say? I am going to, going to rejoice in all my weaknesses. Well, what weaknesses do you think he's talking about? I mean, he put Stephen to death for crying out loud. That's a weakness. Yeah, I'm a murderer. Probably doesn't advertise that too much when he's preaching. Hey, come, come to this church. This guy's a, you know. I'm hesitating because what did Jesus say at the Sermon on the Mount, though? If you hated somebody in your heart, what? Yeah. If you've lusted after somebody, you've, you've, you, it's already started there. And so Jesus ratchets this whole idea of what sin is and what holiness is far beyond what you and I think of an actual act that we do. It is so much bigger than the act that we do. Who do you think you are, by the way, to believe those things about yourself that would keep you to say, I don't know if God's happy with me. I don't know. Listen, if you are in Christ, he says you are pleasing to him. So who in the world do you think you are to say, no, I don't think so, God? <laughs> right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us, listen, for adoption in himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. As a first chapter, that's where Ephesians starts. Paul is laying that out before we get to chapter 4. You have been adopted into Christ. God is pleased with you. Just period that. What else are you going to argue? And when you ponder that, then let me ask you this. How should that make you feel? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Right? And therein lies the battle. Why do I still struggle then? 
Why do I still feel the way I do? Where is this victory you keep talking about? The new talk of the, this talk of this new man that's supposed to be there. I don't feel new. Do, is there two natures? Do I have an old one and a new one? Is there both darkness and light? Listen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. I don't know how else to express that other than how dead is dead. I mean, where do you go with that after that, right? I mean, what do you do? It's passed. It's gone. What do you do with something? I mean, there's no, there's no place else to go. New things have come. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And this is picture of you being grafted in. Or adoption. All of those are through Scripture. Paul in Romans 11. To the Gentiles, we have been, again, grafted in. That's Romans 11, this idea of being grafted into the rootstock, into Christ. Romans 8, we are born by the Holy Spirit. And again, Ephesians 4, 17, where we read, we live according to the Spirit, not of the flesh. And there's the contrast. So let me just go through. What do you mean by the new man? Let me give some principles of how this gets lived out. To live in the light of the new you. Here's number one. First, when you come to Christ, you have this whole load of history, right? Of everything before you did in Christ. So you must unlearn the old self and learn the new one. You got to go to school. <laughs> How's that? See, victory for believers in Christ is to know that, that, that He has granted you this grace and mercy that washes you and cleanses you. It's faith in that. Even when your physicality, your body, your emotions, your mind, will, and emotions go, I don't know. And therein lies the battle. I recognize you're not Jesus, but again, you've been adopted into the family. You've been grafted into Christ. That makes God happy with you. You have this divine nature, born or saved by the Spirit. You're now uh, allowed this, this, this application and ability to be renewed by the Spirit in your thoughts and attitudes. That's Ephesians 4.23, what we read. Your thoughts, your attitudes, everything's changing. Paul says in Romans 12, to not be conformed any longer by the pattern of this world. That's what has to be unlearned. Each one of you, myself, all of us, we have to unlearn those things and learn some new ones. And you do that by the renewing of your mind. But in that process, God, listen, is still happy with you. Do you understand? He's not, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm jumping ahead. Okay, look at what happened right after God declared to the entire world that Jesus is his beloved son? What happened? Where did he go? He was tempted. He went to the wilderness. Why would you think or believe then that God that saves you would be unhappy that somehow be, you, that, uh, that you're falling into temptation, that temptation is show up in, up in your life? He did it to Jesus. Again, what makes you think that you're so, it should be so much whatever. Jesus went from, this is my beloved son, listen to him, I'm pleased with him, right into temptation. Where do you think you're going to go? Right? Those are false expectations of why you would think or believe 
that with God saving you and this instant transformation is going to take place and that your life is going to be pristine from here on out. How helpful would that be, by the way? I know it's what you want. It's what I want. It's really a false sense of pride because what I want is like water downhill. Just a nice, easy ride. Serves up. Woo! Right? I don't want to be crashing into those rocks. Uh, Jack and I have gone whitewater rafting, which is a riot. And when you're good at it, it's fun to watch the people that aren't. Of course, I'm just letting you know how awful I am as a person. <laughs> so uh, there was this couple from Detroit. One year we went. Um, a dad, wife, four daughters. And you can kind of size everybody up um, when you get started. And so you, ha- you have to, at least at the time, it's changed now, which is sad, um, because you have to have a guide in the boat. But at the time, you didn't. So you'd have to elect a boat captain. And then they would go with, through with the commands, you know. And, and everybody had to sync up and listen with the boat captain. And when you do, oh, it's grand. You know, back forward, all forward, all back, and so on. And you turn the boat. It's not like canoeing. The water's too big, too fast, and you cannot. It's just awesome. So you got to set things up properly to shoot you through the rapids. And we knew right away this boat was going to have trouble. <laughs> Why? Because they don't listen to the captain. When you got six people in a boat and they're all doing their own thing, like I said, it was hilarious to watch. <laughs> no lie. Every rapid. They were not happy campers at the end of the day. <laughs> but we were just laughing. They were safe. No one got hurt. It was okay, right? Why would you think your life would be any different? We don't want to go through those things. We don't want to deal with hard things. But the false expectation that, oh, when I become a Christian, all my stuff in this life, it's going to be grand. It wasn't for Jesus. In fact, listen, he made this, uh, there's no bait and switch here. He made this very clear. In this world, you will what? Have tribulation, not just tribulation, much hardship, much tribulation before you enter the kingdom of heaven. And whatever we have to do to wrestle with that, And then to submit that to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Again, Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because God's glorified in it. So wherever you brought today, your emotional, your highs, the depression, the things that we talked about this weekend, the fear, the loneliness, all those things that we struggle with and have to deal with, we have a mechanism, a means to have victory over those things. It is possible. Like Cain, you must master it. And that's what's happening. Listen, you spent your whole life up until Christ living independently from God in unhealthy ways. And now you're expecting, oh, it just to happen like that? Really? And then you get angry, frustrated, mad, say all of those emotions, right? And they drive you to those things that you learn so easily. And you, I mean, a thousand and one things that shows up in my life as simple ways that can manage and, and, and to try to, you know, hide things or whatever. And then when the battle and the struggles come, what do we do? Well, God, am I my brother's keeper? And we get mad. And we blame again. We, we push that off to God. And the temptations come. And the doubt comes. So I just want to insert this real quick. What are the temptations? If Satan's looking to devour, there are temptations. There's three of them that he used on Jesus. These are three big, broad categories, by the way. Not specifics, but you're going to face them. I'm going to face them. 
And it all comes back to you, do you believe God's happy with you? If you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you can manage these temptations that come. What was the first one? If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What's the temptation? I am what I do. My personality, my image, all of those things. I am what I accomplish. I am what I do and what you think of me and all of those things. Do you see it? If I fit in your box, then I'm good. If I do the right things, what it is, it's performance is what it is. You've got to accomplish something first before you're going to be blessed. Before No, that's the temptation. But if you're like that, oh, I've got to drive and I've got to be and I've got to conquer. I've got to rah, And then you'll be happy. Then you'll like me or whatever it is. It's the temptation to validate your value or worth on your own. Man, that's a dark hole to go into, especially with social media. Oh, my goodness. All you young people, what people think and so on. How many likes? What are you doing? All those things. Here's the second one. Satan takes Jesus and gets him this view of all the power in the world. He says, look, Jesus, look at all the power of these powerful people have, all these really important people. What do you have, Jesus? What did he have? Absolutely nothing. He had nothing that the world would deem important. How can you be somebody, Jesus? You don't have anything. You're as poor as poor can be. You're nobody. You're all alone. How does loneliness feel? How are you going to even survive? What's the temptation? I am what I possess. Possessions. Right? You've got to have heard the bumper sticker, the ones with the most toys wins. I wish they would ask the, you know, the follow-up question, wins what? Because <laughs> when I think of that now, all I think of is just more work to take care of stuff. Uh, I want to go kind of the other way and have less stuff to fix, in part because I'm not a real good fixer. Well, if you want something demolished, though, boy, call me up. Let's knock it down, break it, blow it up, shoot it up. Let's do something. <laughs> I'm not good on the piano part, the, the finishing part, but, man, I can, yeah. What do you possess? Here's the third one. I am what others think. That's the third temptation, popularity. What does Satan do? Hey, Jesus, throw yourself off this temple, this really high place. Make this big spectacle. And man, when you do that, because God says you're not going to get hurt, boy, people are just going to flock to you. It's going to be, your ministry is going to take, it's going to be awesome. You want to change the world? Jesus, you got to be somebody. You got to do something spectacular. And then people will validate you. Those are the three temptations that you're going to fall into in some variety of category. In light of the new you, here's the second one. You have a new master. Let's hurry up here. Please hear this and understand you as human beings, we as who we are and created as who we are. Listen, you have no option. There is no option for you or for me. No human being you're ever going to meet. I love kind of saying those ultimate statements because you're like, what's coming next? <laughs> but here's what it is. You have no option but to live under authority. You don't have an option. There is always someone in authority over you. When your kids, it's your parents. 
and you know, all, the, all the seniors go, man, I can't wait to get out of the house. I'm going to be free. I would always tell them this in my student ministry. Hey, that's really cool. You know, but guess what? Guess who's really going to be free? Mom and dad. <laughs> They're like, yeah! Whoa! Out the door, baby. Right? They're the ones, and that's the, where the idea, I did this whole, whole teaching and whole deal out, the responsibility dump truck, that's how, what I called it. And the closer you get to being graduated from high school, you're hearing this beep, beep it's backing up to you, man. And when it latches on at graduation, it's gonna, you're just going to, the, the gate's going to swing open, the dump truck's going up, and it doesn't care if you're ready or not. <laughs> it's just dumping. You have someone over authority over you, spiritual power. It'll either be ultimately, these are ultimates now, it will be either ultimately the living God or the God of this world. That's where it will be. And in Christ, the new you, now, listen, has the power to live and overcome all those temptations, to live in victory, even in the midst of what you're feeling and you're out of sorts and all the things that happen in your life. Jessica mentioned when her mom died, the depression that happens at death, especially for a year, those are real things. They're not to be ignored. We don't sugarcoat those things. We don't try to push them off and go, oh, you should feel better by now. Really? But you can submit all those things under the lordship of Jesus Christ and watch him work and grow you and mature you and help you through those things. Why? Because those things, when you and I do that well, when we honor the Lord, I'll say it that way, well, is that's too vague. When we honor the Lord in those moments of hard things like that, everybody where you live, work, and play is doing what? They're watching you. Is this Jesus thing you say you believe really true? Because you know, and they know especially, they don't have that. And so they're still stuck in the old man. They're still looking at the alcohol, the drill, whatever it is, to, 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 to deal with whatever that struggle is for them and all those temptations that they're facing, and they're watching you. And you now have in Christ all the authority to master it like God told Cain. Why? Because Jesus said at, at the end of Matthew's gospel, all authority has been given to him. Here's the third thing you need to know. There, there has been in Christ, when you come to Christ, an actual, real, realized change that has happened to you as a Christian. It's real. Your nature as, an, as a believer is real. So your life's direction now your propensities, the desires of your heart, the things of the old stuff that have been done away, now again have to be relearned and reoriented to come alongside and line up under who and what God is. Oh, yep, you're going to still squirt out the side from time to time. Right? It's hard. And again, that's the work. But you now have the, all the things that you need in Christ to come beside and line up under Jesus Christ his authority, his power to overcome those things. It doesn't matter to me what it is. It is possible. There is real change. And listen, the fact that when you struggle, the fact that you even recognize the battle, the fact that you still fall into sin, that's the important part. It's not that, oh, I just get to live here and Jesus loves me and forgives me and I get to keep doing this over and over again. That's not the point. The point is, you hate it now. That's the difference. 
The fact that you even recognize the battle now. Because before the new person comes, there's no, there's no anything. The fact that you recognize the battle, recognize the struggle, that it bothers you is one of the best arguments for you to recognize the new you is there. If you're a child of God, you cannot nor will you be comfortable living with sin in your life. It is an impossibility. The presuming that we do, that we need to repent of, that, well, we all kind of sin and we all kind of just talk in, in relativities that way. Well, we're all sin. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. Yep, you are. What's your point? God is calling you to mature in Christ. And to say that, well, we all, that ah, doesn't matter. God's, and we, we're so easily and flippantly with our sin, it, it matters to God in the most profound way because of what it cost him to pay for yours and mine. We don't become Christians because we act a certain way. God, as our master, has made us partakers of his nature so you and I can truly, actually be like Christ. Here's another one. You need to identify with the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection go together. Real, I think it's more easy for us to identify with the cross than it is the resurrection. I mean, it's like peanut butter and jelly, right? Or probably for me, biscuits and gravy. (laughs) I know those are horrible analogies. (laughs) But they go together, is the point. Paul says in Romans 6, For we have been united with him in death, uh, in his death. We shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection. You don't get one without the other. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has sinned and set free from sin. The old man is dead. And you and I need to hear that. It's dead. So he goes on in Romans 6. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to whom? Christ. Again, our considering doesn't make it so. Your ruminations in your mind does not make it so. We believe we are alive in Christ and dead to sin because it is so. You see the difference? That's the difference. It's the fact that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is truly real. You've been set free from sin and death. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are found in Christ. You have a greater law, if you will. It doesn't negate the law, by the way. You have this greater law in you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's at work in you. In light of that new you, you go to school, you have a new master, there's this real change, and you identify with the resurrection. Here's the last one. Stop trying to become someone you already are. You know how frustrating that is? You are beloved by God. Christ has already done the work for you. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ, Colossians says. Paul's dealing with this very same issue. He goes, oh, you foolish Galatians, what is wrong with you? The work God does to you and for you, his atoning grace, the great exchange of Christ's death for your life has taken you from sinner to saint. Like a 
chunk of dusty old coal that's dirty, that's brittle, it's messy. But given the right amount of time and pressure, what does it turn into? You pay a lot of money for that thing when you get engaged, don't you? Or for that anniversary for your wife. Do you see the connection that God is making to you in your life? He's happy with you. This is just the process of you glorifying him amidst all the pressure of the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling to know that God is happy and pleased with those who are saved in Jesus Christ. That releases you from all the pressure to do, to be, all the temptations. When you remember and start with God is happy with you, now you have something to live for. God is pleased with his adopted sons and daughters. Live your life in light of whose you are. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and grace that makes you happy with us to receive Christ, to receive the blessing of salvation, and to know as we gather faithfully before you, as we come now to gather around the Lord's table to remember what you've done, that you are pleased with us. Father, thank you for the hope and the assurance that brings, even in the midst of my soul being troubled from time to time. In Jesus' name, amen.